Welcome this morning. How's everybody doing? Looking good. Is this thing on still? Okay, it's off. I think it's loud, doesn't it? I think it's hot. Hey, uh, I forgot. Uh, I fumbled last Sunday. I forgot to announce every time. Normally, every time we start a new book in the Bible, I let you guys know up front. On Wednesday nights, we just finished the book of Ezra, and we began the book of Nehemiah on Wednesday nights. So we just we just started. And so, if you get a chance to come Wednesday night. I know you will be blessed. We learn how to begin and how to finish a work that God has called us to do. God has called us to do stuff for him, hasn't he? Amen. And it could be, listen, it could be raising kids. It could be to go plant a church. It could be to start a new venture of faith. We learn in that book how to start and how to finish a work that God has called us to do. And everything in between, how to deal with, is there difficulties ever serving the Lord? Is there hardship? Some, sometimes you need to serve the Lord a little more. <laughs> There's a lot of difficulties and hardships in ministry, but God's grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And we learn how to deal with spiritual warfare because there's a very real enemy that would try to stop, try to thwart the work of God that he wants to do not only in our lives individually, but also the lives of the people around us that we are ministering to and pouring into as well. So I would encourage you, if you can't make it, all the studies are online. You can, you can YouTube or Facebook or whatever, pull up those teachings and scope them out. Sound good? Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, and uh, Revelation 18 tonight, 5 o'clock service. So if you're coming for the evening service, Revelation 18, read ahead. I would encourage you, this morning though, we are in Revelation, what chapter are we in? Chapter 16. Why don't we turn there? Good time to turn your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 16. I can't believe we're almost done with Revelation. Man, it's been so awesome. Hasn't it been awesome going through God's Word? Book of Revelation together. Revelation 16. All right, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time this morning together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time that you've given us as we settle our hearts now before you. Thank you for that amazing promise, Lord, that you have called us to come to you, to find rest, to learn from you knowing, Lord, that you desire to minister and meet with each and every one of us right where we're at. And what a miracle that is to consider as we all read the same passage, the same portion of Scripture. You speak to our hearts individually. And so do that this morning, Lord. Speak to us individually and corporately, Lord, as a family, as your church, that we would be men and women led by you, that we would learn from you, be transformed by you. We've come for a fresh work of your spirit to hear from you. So we open our hearts to all that you would have for us now, and may you be glorified. And it's in your precious and your holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So just by way of reminder um, where we are, remember in the book of Revelation, we're looking at this portion uh, of, of Scripture, chapter 6 through 19 is a time period, is a seven-year time period known as the... The tribulation or the great tribulation. The Old Testament has lots of names for this time period. It's called the day of the Lord. 
It's called the day of wrath, the overflowing scourge, the time of Jacob's trouble. And God is dealing with a Christ-rejecting world. He's not only dealing with the removal uh, of wickedness and wicked ones. God is fumigating planet Earth, if you will. But he's dealing with the nation of Israel specifically. Because at the end of the tribulation period in chapter 19, Jesus will return to this earth, correct? His second coming, and he will set up his kingdom on earth for how long? A thousand years, also known as the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And so during this time period, lots of people will get saved also. It's going to be uh, a time of tremendous difficulty, a, tr- a time of tremendous pressure, of hardship. But it will also be a time of mercy too. We see God's judgment has happened, his wrath has happened incrementally. And in wrath, he remembers mercy. He's reaching out to mankind. And so we're going to see, though, now we're getting toward the tail end of this seven-year period. Um, and it's going to be brutal. I, I know this morning's going to be a little rough, maybe for some of us. But again, remember that God is always righteous in everything he does. He's right on. He is just. He is true in everything he does. It's so important to remember that, especially when we're going through pressure, when we're going through tribulation with a small T or hardship, to remember that everything he does in our lives is right on, you guys. We need to hold on to that in perplexing times and hard times because we hit those things in our lives, those bumps, those storms. And so to, to remember that our lives are in his hands this morning and that he's working all things together for good if you love him. Correct? Isn't that what the book says, you guys? Romans 8, 28. Um, by the way, I do not believe that the church, the bride of Christ, will be on earth during this time period. I've repeated this before. In those chapters 6 through 19, the church is no longer mentioned on earth. We see the church is in heaven because Jesus comes for his bride. Correct? We are not appointed unto wrath, the Bible says. It's because the, God, the word of God says that we're not appointed unto wrath. And that Jesus said he's gone to prepare a place for us and he's going to come and receive us to, our, to himself that where he is, we may be also. So he, listen, he's coming and we're going to be reminded of that this morning. Look at, uh, let's look at God's word. And by the way, if this is a difficult time. Jesus said there'll be no other time like it on earth in the Olivet Discourse. It's difficult to fathom, difficult to process. It's a heartbreaker. But I, I think I need to repeat this again. God's judgment um, it is righteous and it is a reality for those who reject Jesus Christ. It is a reality for those who reject Jesus Christ. And God does not delight, Ezekiel tells us, um, God says in the book of Ezekiel, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. In other words, it doesn't make him happy. He, it doesn't make him excited and neither should it make us excited. When we see these judgments coming upon people that are shaking their fist at God, I know I've had to repent of this because there's been times like, yeah, get the bad guy. Get him, Lord. Nail him. But it's like, that is so, I'm so far from the heart of God who's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, the Bible says. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. He's reaching out, doing everything he can to save human beings. And again, judgment shouldn't excite us because, listen, we deserve that judgment. But because we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we've escaped that judgment. Jesus took the judgment that we deserved when he hung on the cross for our sins. And we've put our trust in him. He was the full and he is the full and satisfying payment for our sins, you guys. And so we can rejoice in that this morning, can't we? 
chapter 16. Let's check it out. Then I heard, who's I, by the way? John the Apostle, right? John says, I heard a loud voice from where? From the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So we know who this voice is, don't we? You guys remember the last verse of chapter 15, who was in the temple? God was the only one. Everyone else was, right? Get out, get out of the temple. God was alone there in the temple. We saw these seven angels that are receiving, each one receiving a bowl that's going to be poured out on planet earth, a bowl of wrath. But God now says it's time. He says it's go time, right? He gives command to these seven angels. And so in these, uh, in other words, these seven bowls of wrath, in these, the final seven judgments come upon planet earth. And it's very reminiscent. You guys remember when uh, God delivered his people from Egypt? The plagues that happened. How many plagues were there? Anybody remember how many? Ten plagues. That's right. Ten plagues. This is very reminiscent of that when God redeemed his people out of Israel. Verse 2. Check it out. So the first went. The first angel goes and poured out his bowl upon the earth and a foul and loathsome sore came upon who? The men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So angel number one takes his bowl and pours it out, right, on planet Earth. What's the result? The men and women that took the mark of the beast, those that chose to reject Jesus Christ and have chosen to follow the Antichrist, they took this mark upon them. And what happens? They receive, they, they're targeted now with that mark of the beast for what? A foul. Foul is disgusting. Uh, dirty, smelling. It also means miserable. Loathsome is painful. Um, this is some type of, of oozing discharge that's coming from their body. It's gross, isn't it? It's gross. But what has, what's been going on inwardly is now seen outwardly in their lives. And doesn't God know how to distinguish between those who belong to him and those who don't? Remember, God is preserving... He's preserving a whole bunch of Jews that will come to know Jesus during this time period. Because they're going to, at the end of the tribulation, they're going to cry out for Jesus Christ. They're going to recognize we missed the Messiah. The Messiah is Jesus Christ. We blew it. And they're going to call for Jesus Christ to come, and he will come. And yet God is preserving and protecting them in Petra. We learned about this earlier, right? Or that area of Basra. And so God knows how to distinguish between those that are his and those that are not. You guys remember in uh, Genesis 18. Remember when Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah? You guys remember that? It was almost like this bargaining thing that Abraham was doing with God. Will you, will you destroy the whole place if there's 50 righteous there? Would the God of the earth do that? The, the righteous God of the earth wipe out everybody if there's 50? And God said no. And you guys remember what Abraham does? He kind of negotiates. What if there's 45, 35, do I hear 30? It goes all the way down, right? And we, we know ultimately what happened. Lot and his family escaped from Sodom. If you come tonight, we're going to talk about that. But in any event, any event, God knows how to distinguish between those who are his and those who are not. Even in Egypt, when God brought the plagues upon Egypt and upon the Egyptians, who was preserved during that time period? The children of 
Israel were, weren't they? Over there in Goshen, God protected them, preserved them during that time. And I think about our city here of Houston. You know, would I, would I, would I, or do I, or do we intercede like Abraham for our city to pray? Do, you, do we have a love for this city, the people around us, a heart for this city? Because there are people that will be judged that are under God's wrath right now that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And so, do we have a love for this city? I would also point out just an observation in these judgments in verse 2, that everything that's important to humanity um, is judged in these seven bowls. And I, I, I would point out number one here is health. Is, is, is man's health gets touched. And we are a health-oriented culture, aren't we? So much so it becomes to the point of idolatry. And so we see, listen, uh, it talks about uh, bodily exercise profits little, but godliness profits in all things. So it it is good to exercise, by the way. And I've shared this before. I exercise. I want to minister as long as I can. I have to take care of a special needs child. But some people make that their God, is their health. And so we see here men are touched with this gnarly, oozing discharge, this boil or wound first bowl poured out bowl number two look at verse three then the second angel poured out the bowl his bowl where on the sea on the oceans and it became blood as of a dead man and every living creature in the sea died you remember back in chapter eight the oceans were touched partially right again god's judgment has happened incrementally now all of the oceans are touched and Approximately two-thirds of the earth, uh, earth's surface is covered by water, correct? Think about how much blood that is. And blood of a dead man, a dead man's blood begins to coagulate. It's kind of jelly-like. It's thick. And so think about that. And all the fish now, so you got all this blood. All the, all the, 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 the fish in the ocean are floating to the surface. It's got to smell terrible. The sight has got to be super gross. Um, a rotting heap of corpses a major food source for many people, and it affects our oxygen also. And what God has given as a blessing to man, God has chosen to reject God, to be unthankful for the ocean. And yet now it gets touched. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl. Look what it says in verse 4. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And so drinking water is now unusable, becoming polluted also, turning to blood. And then in verse 5 and 6, notice this. This is, this is the response in the spiritual realm. And then in the heavenlies also. As, 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 as this, this perspective from, from God's perspective, from the heavenlies, um, what are they saying? Because it says, and I heard the angel of the waters... Isn't that cool? There's like an angel that's in charge of the waters. What's he saying? You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be. Why? Because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of the saints. Who are the saints, by the way? Christians, believers. They have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar, so right in the throne room, saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, 
True and righteous are your judgments. And so notice John hears something, right? Look at verse 5 with me. This angel that oversees and cares for the waters. I think that's pretty interesting in itself. This angel declares what? As the bowl was poured out, the angel doesn't say, what are you doing, Lord? How could you do this? Why are you doing this? The angel says, you, what you're doing is the right thing. You are doing the right thing. You are eternal. You are the eternal one. Everything you've done, everything you're doing currently, and everything you ever will do, because he is the God who was and who is and who is to come, correct? God says in Malachi, I am the Lord. I change if not, King James. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's who God is. Everything he has done, is doing currently, and will do is right on. Do you believe that this morning? Sometimes you ever say, God, did you get it right there? Man, did God get it right? Listen, everything he does, everything he does in my life, everything he does in your life is always right. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. But everything he does is always right. Again, I'm, I'm going to repeat myself twice this morning. In hard times, I need to remind myself of this. Otherwise, you know what happens? My perception of God and what he is doing becomes perverted and twisted. It can be. God is not unfair. I am his child. He loves me. My life is in his hands. I've trusted him. I trust his word. We just sang that song, all of his promises are maybe and not, what's, all his promises are yes yes and amen. I mean, do we, we sing that, but do we truly believe that in our lives? He doesn't change. He is faith, we say that you are faithful and his past faithfulness speaks prophetically of his future faithfulness in your life and in my life. And so, This is who he is. I will trust him. And look what else else this angel says in verse 5. It says, you have judged these things. God is the one who judges. And what's interesting is man doesn't judge these things. You have judged these things. Usually, for the most part, our judgment is tainted. Usually it's impaired. But God's judgment is always perfect. You know why? Because he has all the facts. He has all the info. He sees the whole picture. Do you see the whole picture? Do you have all the facts? I don't. And how often, I've realized that, how often do we misjudge people, their motives, because we don't have all the facts, we don't have all the right details, and so we come to a conclusion and, and point the finger or say something or go viral and now we've totally, we've totally, we're far from the heart of God. We've messed up. And so this angel says, you have judged all these things. You've judged these things. We tend to go overboard, but the, but the Lord is right on, isn't he? And so look at for they. Here's the reason. For is a reason word. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. Who's that speaking of? They. Earth dwellers or unbelievers on planet Earth. 
They've taken innocent li- the innocent lives of God's people, his specially assigned servants, since they like taking blood. So the angel says, since they like taking blood, they're bloodthirsty, then that's what they have to drink. It's fair. They're thirsty for men's blood, then give them blood to drink. Everything you've done is right on. Blood for blood. God is not unfair. He is just, and he knows how to mete out justice rightly. Because you reap what you Correct? We see it happen in the Bible. You guys remember uh, when Pharaoh, uh, remember when the, uh, the children of Israel, they were having babies, like tons of them, and Pharaoh was like threatened, totally demonic, totally satanic in what he does. He has all the male babies, what? Killed, thrown into the, thrown into the river to be drowned, correct? You remember how Pharaoh ended up? We talked about it last week. What happened to him? He was drowned in the Red Sea. How about, remember Haman? We're going to be getting to the book of Esther in a few weeks. You guys remember Haman? He had the gallows set up to hang Mordecai, and he ended up getting, he ended up getting hung. And so what comes around, what comes around goes around. No people say that. You reap what you sow. And, and listen, it works in the positive too, doesn't it? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall... Receive or obtain. Do you guys like mercy? <laughs> I do. Jesus says, "You give mercy, you're gonna, you're gonna receive mercy." And so, blood for blood. By the way, Jesus took the judgment we deserve for our sins. Can I remind us of that again? He took the wrath that we deserved. We don't get what we deserve. He took my sin, and now I get all His righteousness. Because of his payment for us. All I can say is thank you, Lord. Verse 7. John hears that someone else in the altar. A voice declaring, Lord, you're doing the right thing. I would say, are you in agreement with heaven this morning? Are you in agreement with heaven, brothers and sisters, that everything God does is right on? Amen. Okay, let's be in agreement with heaven. Verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun... And power was given to him, why? To scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And look at their, their response. And they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. So angel number four pulls, pours out bowl number four. And what happens? He's got the power to affect the sun. And what happens? Men get the worst possible sunburn ever. This is on top of the oozing sore each one of them has. Probably super thirsty because the waters are all messed up. And now all of a sudden in their response, they're blaming God. They're trash talking, using God's name. That's what blasphemy means. Using God's name as a curse word. Bringing his holy name down and using it. For a filth, for filthy slang. That's what blasphemy is. And so they're blaspheming him, saying bad things about him, when he has the power to stop it too. He's got the power over the plagues, but they refuse to repent, to have a change of mind, a change of heart, change of direction. They refuse to honor God also. They refuse to give him glory. So isn't that interesting? So here's a God they say they don't believe in. I don't believe in God. There's no God. I don't believe in God. Listen, God doesn't believe in atheists. 
they know exactly where judgment is coming from. And they're cursing God. They've received, they've received the goodness of God because God makes His rain, His sun to shine on the just and the unjust. God has been good to man. He's been good to us. He's given them their health, the waters, the sea, the oceans, all these things, and the sun also. And they've rejected the goodness of God, the love of God, the free gift of God. They've tuned out the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit does what? The Holy Spirit shows us our need for Jesus. He convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. He shows us we fall short and shows us the solution to our problem, right? The only solution, the help that we can find in Jesus Christ. But people say, no, I don't want Jesus. Get away from me. They've tuned, they've, they've, they've tuned out their conscience also because God gives us a conscience too, correct? That moral compass showing us between right and wrong. Their consciences became seared and creation, which testifies of the glory of God, his goodness, his, um, his amazing power, who he is, testifying. And as judgment progresses, this is so interesting to me. Start reading this chapter. I, I struggled with this chapter this week. But going through, it's just like Pharaoh. He hardened his heart and hardened his heart and hardened his heart. And as judgment progresses... In the last days, in the, in the final, final judgments, man's heart will get harder and harder and harder. Rather than softening, man's heart has a progressive hardening in his heart. Look at verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl, where? On the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues. Why? Because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven. Why? Because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their... What does your Bible say? They did not repent of their what? Deeds. Their deeds. So plague number five is what? Total darkness over the kingdom of the Antichrist and all those who are a part of it. Again, God knows how to what? How to divide between those who belong to him and those who don't. Remember what happened in Egypt, ancient Egypt? Children of Israel, they had light in all their dwellings. While darkness came... Have you guys ever been in like total, complete darkness? Anybody ever? It's frightening, isn't it? It's spooky. It's weird. You get all jacked up. And so that's what happens on the Antichrist kingdom, the beast kingdom. And their response, they're chewing their tongues. They're trash-talking God, verse 11, using his name as a curse word. And I, again, I found this so interesting. They did not repent of their deeds. They refused to change their behavior and what they were involved in. Do you remember what they were involved in earlier? Do you guys remember? Like witchcraft? Do, do, speaking of doing drugs. So they're doing drugs, involved in sexual immorality, ripping people off. All, they're refusing to stop even in the dark. <laughs> but that's when most crimes occur, doesn't it? In the dark. They're refusing to stop doing what they're doing. And, and, I, and I ask myself, what's the problem? You see all this happen. You know it's the Lord. What's the problem? Why not cry out and say, Lord, help? Do you know why? Jesus told us why. Can I read it real quick? I don't need an answer. I'm going to read it. <laughs> Listen, for God did not, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. 
but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. What's the problem? That the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Did you catch that? What's the problem? What's their problem? Men love darkness. They love... Pra- that, that's why when I, someone says to me, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, you know what I say? I don't, believe, I don't believe you're an atheist at all. You know who God is. You know who God is. The problem is you're involved in something that you don't want to give up. You're involved in some type of sin that if you come into the light, you're going to be exposed for who and what you are. And, and, and that's what the Lord's asking you to do. He will set you free. He will heal you. He will give you a fresh start. He will forgive you of those things. But Jesus goes on to say, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be exposed. But the flip side, and here's the flip side. Ready for this? But he who does the truth comes to the light. Have you guys discovered that? Right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? If the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Right? His word is truth. He who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. So we see man's problem. Man loves darkness rather than light. And towards the end of the tribulation, men have a choice between Jesus and be a part of his kingdom or be a part of the Antichrist and his kingdom of darkness. God offers a choice. He doesn't twist our arms. We are free moral agents. God created us with the capacity to choose. And the choice of what kingdom you want to be in is is an option today. Part of Jesus' kingdom or part of the kingdom of darkness. Well, look at verse 12, 12 through 16. Verse 12 says, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates... That's the river that divides the the natural border for the the Far East and the Middle East. There in the Mesopotamia River Valley by Iraq. And then its water, what happened to its water, was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And notice what John sees. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world, notice that, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked. And they see his shame. And they gather them together to the place in Hebrew, Armageddon. So notice the sixth angel pours out his bowl. And what happens? The river Euphrates dries up. And we're told why. It's preparing a way, preparing a highway for the kings of the east, these world leaders and their armies, to pull into Israel, into the valley of Megiddo. And you can check it out in your Bibles where it's at. And why are they gathering together? You guys remember why? Who are they going to fight? They're going to fight Jesus. How do you think you're going to do fighting Jesus? 
Not very good. Not, but notice it's involving deception. This is so important. Please take note of this. Because John tells us what he saw. Verse 13, look at it. John sees three unclean spirits. And he tells us what they are in verse 14. Spirits of demons. They, and they look like frogs. I, you know what? I can't stand frogs. Anybody like frogs? They're na- aren't they nasty critters? They're like grease, gooey, and funky look. You ever look at their face? Like, he's, So these demons look like frogs, and they're coming out of the mouth of the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan, Satan the devil. Out of the beast. Who's that? Antichrist. The Antichrist. And out of the false prophet. Remember the false prophet also? He's going to be kind of like the worship leader at this time, the uh, counterfeit Holy Spirit, if you will. So the unholy trinity is involved in this demonic deception. And notice it involves, verse 14, the performing of signs. And who gets deceived? Look what it says in verse 14. World leaders, kings, and who else? What does it say, verse 14? What does your Bible say? The whole Everyone on the planet gets deceived. The purpose, they're all going to gather, this mob is going to gather to fight Jesus. And we got a foretaste earlier, didn't we? Remember we saw Jesus and uh, the angel that went out to reap, the, the, the reaping going on. We got a little foretaste of that. And we know who wins, don't we? We've already, battle's already won. We know, chapter 19. And we're going to be with Jesus isn't it interesting, verse 15? How many of you guys have red writing in verse 15? You said red writing there? Well, we don't need, I mean, we would know who this is, by the way, just by what's communicated. We don't need the red writing, but it's good to have the red writing. Because when you have red writing in the Bible, who's speaking? Jesus is. But if we didn't have the red writing, would we know who it is? Because it says what? Behold, I am. Who's coming? Jesus. Listen, Jesus is coming, you guys. Do you understand that? This morning, do you realize that? And he's coming how? As a thief. I personally think he's, I think he's personally speaking of the rapture here. Even though this is toward the end of the tribulation, why do I say that? Because Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, when he comes to set up his kingdom, every eye will see him. How does a thief come? Anybody ever been ripped off by a thief? Did they text you? Send you a letter? Leave a message on your voicemail? Leave a little note on your front porch? I'm coming at 12.08. Make sure you... I got... Tanya and I, we were... We drove... Uh, I had a Ford Bronco. We drove up from Florida to Nashville from spring training. I was playing baseball. Everything we owned was in the back of my Bronco. And everything got stolen at the hotel we were at from the Bronco, from the truck. It stinks, doesn't it? But how does a thief operate? He comes and it's what? It's surprising. It's sudden. Unannounced. Correct? You don't see it coming? Listen, Jesus is coming like a thief. He can come at any moment, you guys. The question is, are we ready? Because he says, blessed, or oh, how happy, or how spiritually prosperous is he who watches. Are you watching this morning? Watch means to stay alert, to be awake. This is speaking spiritually, engaged. He's saying, be spiritually awake, engaged, alert, aware. Are you cognizant of what's going on this morning, brother or sister? I don't think we should bury our heads in the sand. 
I think we need to have our eyes and our ears and our hearts open to what the Lord would have for each one of us to be engaged. That's what alert means or awake. Watching means to be engaged in God's business, the things of his kingdom. Are you awake? Are you awake this morning? Are you sleeping in church? If you're sleeping in church, I know who you are. It's okay. But if it's a chronic problem, you got a chronic heart problem. Because it really, like I love you. And if you come in every Sunday just to get, get bag some Z's, you are spiritually asleep, man. And you're going to miss out on what God has. God has good works. He wants to bless and use your life in a special way. And you need to tune in to what God has for you. Because why? You know, what the, you know, you know what the context is? The context is deception in the last days. And I only get one hour with you, for some of you, one hour a week. Some of you, it's one hour a month. I don't know what you do 24-7, but I love you and I care about you. That's why I give you the Word of God every week, undiluted, the entire counsel of God's Word, because I care about you. I get one hour. Some of you, I get two hours. Some of you guys come Wednesday. Hallelujah. But I get one hour with you to share the truth with you. You need to be awake. You need to be alert. You need to be cognizant of what's going on spiritually around you, that the times are getting darker and darker. Listen, we are in perilous times right now. Paul said that to Timothy. Perilous times will come. We are in perilous times. And our nation is falling asleep spiritually. And we cannot, the church of Jesus Christ cannot fall asleep. How many, and I look, how many Christians were once walking with God and they allowed distance and they've veered off, and now they are living in deception. It's tragic. It breaks my heart, especially as a pastor. And the, listen, deception is a danger for unbelievers and believers alike. Satan is a deceiver. That means, you know what that means? We need to stay close to Jesus, stay in the Word, stay in prayer. Listen, to, to, to avoid compromise at all costs. The exhortation is to what? To watch and notice the second part of it. To keep your garment. Lest you go around naked and everyone sees your embarrassment. This is, this is like an eye-opener to me. I've been wrestling with this. That word keep, it means to attend to carefully, to take care of, to guard, to keep intact, to hold fast to. If you don't keep your garment, then you will have... It's really simple. Like, my eight-year-old can understand this. If you don't keep your garment on, you will become naked. What does it mean to be naked? It means to have no clothes on. Not hard. You're in your birthday suit, for lack of a better word. What garment do you and I have that we need to keep on? Oh, Some of you said it. The robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61.10. Just listen. Let me, let me read this to you. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. This is Jesus speaking. He's the one who gave us the robe, correct? Did you, did you earn your robe? Did you work for your robe? Did you pay for your robe? 
It's a free gift to us. So what's he saying? He's saying, keep your robe on. You know what that means? It means keep your robe on. <laughs> it means be steadfast in the faith. Don't ditch Jesus. The just shall live by faith. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting in his righteousness. Are you with me? Amen. I don't think it's hard. And maybe you're struggling, maybe you're faith, you're struggling in your faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I would say cry out to Jesus. Help me. Shortest prayer in the Bible, right? Peter, beginning to sink, help. Cry out to him. He will help you. He will help you. Because he loves you. You're his child. But let me encourage you, don't ditch Jesus. Don't turn on him. Don't turn your back on him. Keep your garment on. 17 to 21, we finish up. Let's finish it up. We got time? Oh, we got seven minutes. Hallelujah. Verse 17, And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is... What did your Bible say? It is done. Who's that speaking? That's God speaking. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God. Why? Because of the plague of the hail. Since that plague was exceedingly great. And so God speaks. He says what? It is finished. Just like what Jesus said on the cross. Right? Paid in full. Jesus paid our sin debt in full. And he cried out, it is finished. And then notice what happens. There's these loud sounds and thunders and and lightnings. And what else? What does it say in verse 18? A huge what? A great earthquake. A one-of-a-kind, uh, unique earthquake that shakes the entire planet. Shakes it so much. Verse 19, Jerusalem, I believe is the great city, divided three ways. Cities around the world, cities begin to collapse. Great Babylon was remembered before God. Listen, um, seven, chapter 17 and chapter 18, we get a play-by-play -play, um, account of the fall of Babylon. And so come back next week. We'll talk about that. If you're coming tonight, you get a little, you get the, final, the tail end of what happens to Babylon. God's judgment uh, upon Babylon, this, this anti-God system uh, that's in the world even now. And notice in verse 20, every island is going to vanish. Mountains disappear. So that's like major geographical, geological, topographical changes will happen. Correct? Does the Bible talk about any shaking that's going to happen? Sounds like crickets. 
If you're taking notes, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Uh, this is so interesting. Has the Lord spoken to your heart? Has God spoken to your heart? Man. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. This is verse 12.25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who escaped, who refused him, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. We, the authors, including himself. Isn't that heavy? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Did you catch that? We are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. What should we do in light of that? What's the application? Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably. How do we serve God acceptably? He tells us with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Did you guys catch that? In light of this happening, he tells us the application that you and I need to be serving God. Are you serving God this morning? If not, you need, you need to make an adjustment. Because he says, we're receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly Fear. And then as we finish in chapter 16 of Revelation, that last verse, from heaven comes what? Giant, approximately 100 pound hailstones. Like bowling balls. I don't know if bowling balls probably don't weigh that much, do they? Probably 75 to 100 pounds hailstones. Listen, hail is used by God throughout the Bible for judgment. And what's interesting to me in the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, I, think this is, I, don't, I don't think it's an accident. Under the Old Testament economy, what was the penalty for blasphemy? Blaspheming the name of God. Stoning. And they're getting hit with what? Hailstones. What is blasphemy? You're cursing. Talking filthy about God. Listen, a filthy mouth indicates a filthy heart. Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the Lord offers a new heart to us. And His Word is what, His Word and confession is what purifies us, purifies our hearts and cleanses our hearts. That what comes out is blessing and thanksgiving and edifying and encouraging Words that build up. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But Jesus said, come to him and drink, and out of your heart would flow rivers of living water, not polluted, foul, buffalo bayou stuff. Right? Are you thankful for the grace of God this morning? 
like, I look at this, even though we deserve justice, the wrath of God, God has passed over us because of our trust in Jesus Christ. Can I remind you this morning you're forgiven? You're a child of God. You've got a reservation in heaven. Peter tells us, 1 Peter chapter 1, there is a reservation for you in the place that Jesus is preparing for you right now. And all along the way, who do we have? The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper with us. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Can we bless him for that? Can we say, Lord, thank you this morning? Oh, God, thank you for your mercy and grace, your goodness towards us. Lord, forgive me. What's been coming out has not been reflective of a changed heart. That you would purify and transform my heart, Lord. That I would be filled with your spirit, that I would be, making singing, I would be singing and making melody in my heart to you. Because if you're grateful, that's what's going to happen. Oh, Lord, thank you. Praise you. You're so good. Amen? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. What else can we say? Lord, thank you for saving us from the wrath to come, for rescuing us, giving us a fresh start, Jesus. For setting us free. Giving us life. Life abundant. Lord, thank you. And thank you along the journey, as we journey with you, Jesus, that everything you do is right. Forgive us for our, our doubts, our disbelief. When those things become verbalized that are dishonoring, forgive us, Lord. That we would take those things we've learned this morning. We've heard from you. Thank you. We've heard your voice. We don't want to refuse what you've spoken to us, but to serve you to be about your business. Thank you that you are coming for us. I pray for anyone here, Lord, that has, been, has become spiritually sleepy, that this would be a wake-up call for them. God, that they would get their head in the game. Help them, please. Help us, Lord. That we would be a church that is awake, alert, That we would have your heart, Jesus. <clears throat> Apart from you, we can do nothing. We need you, more of you and less of us, Lord. So fill us, use us, God. For your glory. And this morning, as we're still.